0: audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. Thank you for being here. Um, The passage that we are going to look at is so important. It's such a message of hope. It's a message that we need to preach to ourselves often on repeat. I'm excited about it. But sadly, uh, this is the last week in our time together in Genesis. Uh, this is the last, we're going to kind of transition from this into the summer. Don't worry, we're not done. We are coming back to Genesis. Uh, but, but here at Stone Oak, we, we typically, in the summer, will spend some time in the Psalms. And so we're excited that we are kind of transitioning. We're going to pick up right where we left off, but, but we are going to enjoy spending the summer together in the Psalms. I love the Psalms because they are so raw and so beautiful. Uh, they expose to us how good and beautiful and great our God is, uh, how perfect and holy, faithful and true. And at the same time, the thing that I love about the Psalms is at the same time they expose to us our very raw humanity. The raw emotions, the sadness, the joy, the anger, the rage, the worry, doubt, fear, thankfulness, gratitude, it's all there, it's all packed. And so no matter who you are, where you are in your life, you will be able to relate to this book profoundly human, yet profoundly God-focused. So I cannot wait for our time. Uh, just as a spoiler alert as well, uh, in the fall, we look forward. We're going to walk together through the book of 2 Peter. 2 Peter is a phenomenal book. We're, get, we're gearing up for that. We're going to spend a little time as well in Luke, and we're going to finish up our year in an often forgotten book, the book of Joel. So we're gonna, that's where we're headed. We have a fun road ahead of us. If you're not as excited as I am, I worry about you. Cannot wait. It's going to be a good time. Uh, But like I said, this morning, this message is really important because I believe this message is a message of hope. This is a message of hope that we need to hear. And so as we look at this, as we turn our hearts to his word, I just want to ask if you would bow your head with me. Let's pray. Let's ask God. Let's ask him to speak. Let's pray. God. God we we just pause. Lord, would you help us to be fully present in this moment? Your word is beautiful. It is true, sufficient, perfect, and profitable for us. It's through your word that we're able to know you and know your truth, and it's through your word that we know the true hope that we have in the cross of Jesus Christ. And so this morning, we we pause and we sit together under your word. And we would pray, we would plead before you that you would speak to us this morning. Amen, amen. All right, we are coming up on an interesting scene. Uh, an interesting scene. See, as you look at Genesis 18, and you kind of get a lay of the land, and see what, all the stuff that's happened before it. Uh, what you're going to see is that Abraham and Sarah—they've been on a journey. In chapter 12, God called Abraham to leave his security, leave what he knows, and go to where I will tell you. Uh, we see that that Abraham—that God made this promise to Abraham, and we see Abraham believing. God. Yet, at the same time, struggling to believe God. Uh, God says, look up, Abraham, at the stars. Just look up. Your offspring are going to be as numerous as the stars uh, in, the, in a country night sky. They're going to be that numerous. This is yours. This was the promise. And we see that Abraham believed God. Yet, uh, he continued to try to take means into his own hands. Uh, and each time he does, we've, we've seen all throughout since chapter 12, we've seen all throughout that God kind of stops him and says, no, Abram, I will bless you. I will do this. Uh, we looked last week at, at chapter 17. We talked about the fact that Abram had been waiting for 24 years. God promised to him and said, I'm going to come through. This is yours. Now wait for 24. Four years for God to come through on his promise, and so in chapter 17, we see God appears to Abraham again, and he restates his promise to Abraham. He tells him, first he changes his name from Abram to Abraham, then he tells him, "You're going to have a son and I want us to, I want us to think about this. I love this. I, uh, think about this for a minute for a minute. a 70 year old woman having a baby. It's pretty. Huge, right? Unbelievable. Uh, It is unbelievable. I want to give you an idea of what this would be like. I want to introduce you to someone. Um, This, I'll get out of your way, is Cal Jinder She is a, a mother from India who had a baby when she was 72 years old. There's a collective female sigh that just happened in the room. Um, 72 years old has a a baby boy, her first, by the way. Um, This took the world by surprise, made worldwide headlines, because everyone looked at this and was just blown away. If you do the math here, so she's 72, that would mean she was 74 in toddler stage. She's in her mid-80s when they're coming into adolescence. (laughs) Holy moly. Well, here's what I like to think. It's like God having a kid in your 70s. It's like God just said in our story in Genesis. You know, that's not big enough. That's just, they might be tempted to take some credit for that. You know, they might be tempted to think that it's them. They, they might be tempted to see glory come to themselves through this. So you know what we need to do? Let's wait 25 years. Just wait a little bit long. Let's wait until they're in their hundreds. Let's wait a little bit. That way, it will be even more abundantly clear that I did this. That way, it'll be even more clear that they are not to take credit for this. That way, this way, the people will see my works and know that this was God and God alone. Uh, God gave his promise to Abraham and God was going to fulfill that promise to Abraham in only a way that God could do. And uh, here in our text now, That sets us up for chapter 18, which is where we're gonna spend our time. And and so, what we're gonna do is shift our focus a little bit to look at God's dealing with Sarah. So, I wanna read this first part. And as as I do, it's just kinda setting us up for our time. So, let's read together the first few verses of chapter 18. It says and the Lord appeared to him by the oaks of Mamre, where he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day. He lifted up his eyes and look, and behold, looked and behold, three men were standing in front of him. come to your servant. So they said, do as you have said. And Abraham went quickly into the tent to Sarah and said, "Quick, 3 seahs of fine flour, knead it and make cakes." And Abraham ran to the herd and took a calf tender and good and gave it to a young man who prepared it quickly. Then he took curds and milk and a calf and they uh, that He had prepared and set it before him, and he stood by them while under the tree while they ate. Um, This sets up our scene. Let's pause here for a moment. Here's what we see. Abraham is having a moment with God. He's in the heat of the day. Text says he's in the presence of the Lord, and he was startled out of it. Um, by the way, have you ever? has that ever happened to you? I could not help. I have to share this. I, I, um, I couldn't help but think of a time. I was in my office. It was really early, early, early in the morning. And I was having some time before the world wakes up. It's an introvert's dream, right? It's just quiet. It's just quiet. I was up. I was praying and, and reading and writing. It was quiet. It was peaceful. I could hear everything in the house. If it was a mouse... That ran through our house. Hopefully there's not. My wife would lose it. But if there was, I'd hear it, all right? Or so I thought. At this one particular moment, my eyes were closed, and all of a sudden, uh, I felt fingers and a little hand touch my arm. I jumped so so high. It was so quiet, and I just jumped. It scared me to death. And somehow, it was somehow Theo. Theo's my youngest. He was barely three at the time. He had just snuck in, the middle of the night, just snuck in. And the funny thing about it is when he did it, he knew he did it. I looked, and he had this little smirk on his face, like, <laughs> daddy. Um, he knew what he did. I get the feeling that this was one of those moments for Abraham. He's having this moment in the presence of the Lord, and, and he is startled, and he jumps as three men are all of a sudden in front of him. Just they appear suddenly, and they appear quickly, and we get the, the impression here that Abraham shows them, he scrambles to show them hospitality. Just is scrambling like, oh, okay, let's get a goat. Like, he's trying to show them hospitality here in this moment. Um, understand here, though, that this is a supernatural scene. We, we get the sense that Abraham is aware that something special is going on. It's in the presence of the Lord, three guys appear, something special is going on. But we also get the sense that he's unaware of what it really is. Uh, we, this unique scene is referenced again for us in Hebrews 13. You don't have to turn here, but it says, let brotherly love continue, encouraging the church to love each other, right? And then in verse 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. Then it goes on to say, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. This is a reference to our our man Abraham here, seeing these men and showing them great hospitality, knowing that something is going on, but not knowing what is going on or who these guys are. He did this while unaware. So he scrambles in in order to show these visitors incredible hospitality, hospitality that the New Testament writers are going to point back to and say, church, be like that, be like that. But in all of this, there's something special and something supernatural unfolding. So let's continue on, and I want us to watch together how this, how this unfolds. Verse 9, they said to him, where is Sarah, your wife? And he said, she's in the tent. And the Lord said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, I want you to notice this was the same promise that God had given Abraham in chapter 17. In verse 19 of 17, it says, Sarah, your wife, will bear you a son. Verse 21, I will establish my covenant with Isaac, whom Sarah will bear to you this time next year. It's the same language. It's the same promise here being given to Abraham. To Sarah, or to Abraham and Sarah, it's being restated here in this moment, and it's being given with Sarah in mind. So, in this scene, we read that Sarah was spying. She hears. She's listening out of the tent door in verse 10 and verse 11. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years, and the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? Now, two things here that that Sarah brings up. One, she says, (laughs) yeah, I'm too old for this. (laughs) <laughs> too old for this. I, have a, I read a commentator that said it very simply and very politely. A normal biological conception was humanly ruled out due to Sarah's post-menopausal age. There it is. Sarah said, <laughs> I'm too old for this. I, 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 this is what our text meant when, when it says she's old and advanced in years. This is specifically what our text meant when it said the way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. This was Sarah saying, (laughs) ah, I'm too old for this, this is impossible. The second thing here that our text says is Sarah saying, (laughs) okay, I'm no longer engaging in the activity required to have kids. Notice, I I was sensitive to saying that. So, verse 12, she says, After I'm worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? This is a specific reference to sexual activity, and it indicates that this activity was no longer happening in this couple, with this couple. So, Sarah here, these facts, these two big facts, are in Sarah's mind, and she says, yeah, right, right. That's not going to happen. Like, there's this disbelief and some big things weighing on her mind. As we think about it, though, it's the same response Abraham had. So we see in Genesis 17 where Abraham fell on his face in verse 17 and laughed and said to himself, shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who's 90 years old, bear a child? It's the same thing happening here. It's this unprompted gut response laughter of disbelief. It's the, (laughs) yeah, yeah, uh uh-huh. It's the unprompted. It's like I were to approach you and say, we're all going to go outside. I want you to follow me. We're all going to go outside. And when we get outside, what I need you to do is stand with your feet shoulder-width apart, put your arms up, and flap them seven times. And when you do, you will fly. I had some laughter. That's it. That's the laughter that I'm talking about. It's the laughter of, yeah, that's not happening. That's, that cannot happen here. Um, and listen to this. Verse 13. The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, so pause here. Don't miss the miraculous. If we notice in verse 12, Sarah laughed how? To herself. And, and she said these things how? Well, she said them to herself. What does saying something to yourself mean? To yourself. To yourself. So just an experiment, real quick here. I want everyone in the room, I promise this won't get weird, to to think something to yourself. You doing it? Think something to yourself, all right? Now, I want you to say something to yourself, okay? Just say something. now. If right now I were to respond to the thought you just had in your head, that would be an absolute miracle, right? So sometimes I think when we read this, we can can fail to see the miraculous thing that just happened in this moment. Poor Sarah had to be startled when someone responds to the thoughts in her head. That's what happens here. These three visitors respond to Sarah's thoughts. They reply to her thoughts. What a moment. These, these men read her thoughts as she thinks them to herself, as she thinks, shall I bear a child now that I'm old? And here's what they say. Verse 14 is incredibly powerful. Listen to this. Is anything too hard for the Lord? So I want to repeat that. Is anything too hard for Lord. Now, we are going to come back to that, but for a moment, let's finish our story. They then say, at the appointed time, I will return to you about this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Again, this is the same promise that, that Abraham already received in chapter 17. And hearing this, though, I love the interaction here. It's a little awkward. I love awkward humor, so I enjoy reading things like this, but it says, Sarah denied it, saying, I didn't laugh. I did it in my head. I didn't laugh. Like, and uh, for she was afraid. And, and then he said, no, you did laugh. So awkward. So awkward. She's arguing with an angel here, arguing with the Lord, as she says. And, and you're not going to win that one. And so this is awkward moment of saying, I didn't do it. And she, yeah, yeah, you, you did. You, you did. And it just ends there. And again, This was a restatement of the promise of God to Abraham. So I want us to go back, and I want us to dwell a little bit on verse 14. Is anything too hard for the Lord? Is anything, another word you could use, is difficult for the Lord? Another way you could translate this, is anything too wonderful for for the Lord? A hundred-year-old couple, that's not an obstacle for the Lord. A post-menopausal woman is not an obstacle for the Lord. The things that are impossible are possible with him. There's nothing too difficult. There's nothing too hard. There's nothing too wonderful for our God. When our God says he's going to do something, when our God says he is going to do something, regardless of the obstacles, he will do it. He will do it. The impossible is possible. The improbable is reality. This is the God that we serve. So God makes this promise to Abraham and Sarah, and he is going to accomplish it. He is going to bring this to be. There's nothing that can keep him from accomplishing the thing that he promised to them to do. There's nothing. So let's drive this down a little deeper, and I want to invite you to turn with me to the book of Matthew. Matthew chapter 19. Uh, I want us to see something here together. I want us to realize something together. Um, our God is a God who accomplishes the impossible. Our God is the God who is unbound by limitations, and our God is still in the business of doing the impossible. And this is made abundantly clear in the teaching that Jesus gives in Matthew 19. So I want us to look at this text, and I want us to do so in parallel to Genesis 18. Understanding this is our God, this is still our God, understanding that he still accomplishes the impossible. So here, Matthew 19, follow with me here, I'm going to summarize it and then we'll jump in. We have a rich young man who approaches Jesus and asks, what can I do to get into heaven? Uh, How can I be good enough? Jesus replies to this and he says, why do you even ask what is good? There There is only one who is good. And then Jesus says, if you want to enter life, keep the commandments. So the man says then, bold question, well, which ones? <laughs> See, he's still trying to accomplish this on his own. He's still trying to wrap his mind around he, uh, ways he can do this, right? And, and so Jesus here lists off a few commandments and hearing this, the young man says, awesome, got it. Anything else? Is there anything else? And Jesus here in this moment points directly to this young man's heart, directly to his heart. Verse 21, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come and follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions, now, just pause, we're gonna pick it up here. Is Jesus telling us that we all need to sell everything we have, give it to the poor in order to go to heaven? A resounding no. No, that is not what is is, is being revealed here. What Jesus is doing here is Jesus is beautifully revealing the idol in this man's heart. Don't lie, got that. Materialism, he's, he's pushing driving down into this man's heart. And this man was unwilling to do that. What had happened is is selling his possessions, that was off limits to this man. Don't, anything but that. And he walked away, he went away saddened. Even after Jesus asked, hey, come follow me. And he walks away saddened. Before we read on, don't be quick to judge. I wonder how many idols that Christ would drive down to in my heart I wonder if if how many idols Christ would reveal in us and this is why Jesus says there is only one who is good there is only one and it's in this moment that Jesus teaches his disciples and I, I want us to drive down into this in in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich pe- person enter the kingdom of heaven. Again, I, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. You know, just real quick, camels are, were the largest land animal in Palestine at the time. The eye of the needle, smallest hole. All right so let's not get caught up here big animal biggest animal smallest hole the word play that Jesus uses here is so simple it's that uh, it's it's that Jesus says it's it's an impossible task for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle it's an impossible task and that task that impossible task is actually easier to accomplish than a rich person getting to heaven. Why? Well, because that rich person is a sinner. And the requirement for entering heaven is blamelessness. It's perfection. That's why Jesus says, if you want to be perfect... You remember what God told Abraham in in chapter 17. He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be what? Did he say pretty good? Be as good as possible given your circumstances. Did he say be above average? Walk before me and be good-ish. Did he say that? No. He says, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless. We've talked about this, but God is not looking for pretty good people. God is looking for blameless people. And Jesus tells us there's no one good, there's no one blameless other than one, and that is Jesus Christ, the blameless one. So Jesus is clear. Yes, it is impossible for a rich sinner to go to heaven. And I'll add, because Scripture also shows that it's, Impossible for a poor sinner to go to heaven. While we're on it, uh, it's impossible for a male sinner to go to heaven, as well as a female sinner to go to heaven. It's impossible for a young sinner. It's also impossible for an old sinner. In fact, it's easier for the largest known animal to pass through the smallest hole than for one sinner. One sinner to enter heaven. After reading that I want you to remember our text is anything too difficult? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Remember what he said our uh, we said God will accomplish what he has willed. There's no obstacle that's going to stop him. Impossible is possible. There's nothing too difficult. So let's continue reading with that in mind. Verse 25, when the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished, saying, Who then can be saved? Which, by the way, is a great question. This is a great question. I would be asking the same question. Jesus, you just said perfection. I'm not perfect. No one I know is perfect. Who can be saved? This is ridiculous standards. Who can be saved? Verse 26, but Jesus looked at them and said, With man, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. Is there anything too difficult, too hard, too wonderful for our God? Jesus tells us resounding no, with our God, all things are possible. And here's what we need to see here church. God made this promise to Abraham and Sarah. He made this covenant with him, with them, and there is no obstacle that's going to stop him from accomplishing it. Nothing. He's going to do what he said he's going to do and there's nothing that's gonna keep him from that. In church, Jesus here reminds us that the same God in Genesis 17 and 18 is our God today, that the God of the old covenant is the God of the new and that God will accomplish what he has planned and what he has promised. Jesus reminds us that he does the impossible now to accomplish his plan. Now, um, you may hear that And be tempted to make what I just said small. Here's what I mean. You may hear that and think, well, my job situation is tough. Nothing is impossible for God. Which, by the way, that's true. It's absolutely true. Certainly true. Praise God that that's true, but it's too small. You may hear that and think, well, I'm having some tough relationship things happening right now, but... Nothing is impossible for God. Again, we stand on the fact that that is true. 100% true. Praise God that that is true. But again, I encourage you to think bigger. What I'm about to say will change your life. And understand, I don't say that because I think my words will change your life. I say this because what I'm about to tell you is at the heart and center of the gospel. And to understand this is to understand the gospel. And to understand the gospel is to be changed by the gospel. And to be changed by the gospel is to have a changed life. So when I say this, I mean this. This will change your life. With Genesis 18 in mind, understand that God will do the impossible to accomplish his purpose. With Matthew 19 in mind. Understand that God still does the impossible to accomplish his purpose. Now, having said that, I want to read for you God's purpose for you. His promise to you. I want to read to you what God has purposed to be true in your life through Jesus Christ. At the beginning of our of our time, we we read from Ephesians 1. We sang from Ephesians 1. Now, I want to read Ephesians 1 in light of what we just talked about. And as I do, I want you to pay attention to two things. I want you to first pay attention to all of the language that talks about how God willed this, chose this, purposed this. And remember that when he does that, he makes good on it. And then two, I want you to pay attention to what God says is true about you. Now, listen to this, church. Ephesians 1, starting in verse 3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in heaven and other places. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be, what? Should we be holy and blameless before him? In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. To unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we who were first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also. When you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it, to the praise of his glory. Now, God's purpose for your life, for those who are in Christ, you ready for this? Let's just take these statements as they are. His purpose is to choose you. His purpose is to make you blameless and holy, to adopt you into his family, to redeem you through the blood of Jesus Christ, to bless you. His purpose is to forgive you of your sins, to lavish his grace on you, to make known his will to you, to give you an inheritance and a purpose, and to seal you with the Holy Spirit to guarantee that all of these things will happen just as he said it would happen forever and ever. That is what your God proposes to do for you. That is his plan that is his purpose for those in Christ and I will say it again what God proposes to do he will do he will accomplish it is crazy to think that what I just read in Ephesians 1 is true for me it's true for you in Christ that this is our identity our God still does impossible things and if you're here and and you don't know Christ is your Lord and Savior Our God can do the impossible in your life to save you from your sin, forgive you from your sin, to restore you, to make you whole, to make you blameless in his sight. And you might hear that and say, that's impossible. You don't know me. And I would say, yeah, that's right. It is impossible and I don't know you. But again, our God does impossible things for his glory and his plan. You have not out sinned The grace that God is is willing to lavish on you. Our God does the impossible. He still does the impossible. And salvation is possible through Jesus Christ. Some of you may be here and you might feel a lot like the rich young ruler. This one's a harder one. You may hear this and you may think, you know what? Um, I think I'm all right. I think I've got a pretty good handle in my life. I mean, I I think I've got things organized. I think I'm pretty good. You may be here and just think, you know what? I think I'm doing all right. And then when we read Jesus' words, we're reminded through Jesus' words, through the command in Genesis 17, that God's not looking for people who are doing all right. God's not looking for people who have a good handle in life, who are pretty good, who are above average, who are good-ish. He's not looking for any of those people. Our God is looking for perfection. He's looking for blamelessness. God says in Genesis 17, be blameless. Jesus says in Matthew 19, there's only one who is blameless. So we hear this and we think, well, that's impossible. These are impossible standards. I will never live into that. Church, hear me. Come to Christ. Trust in Christ. Place your trust, your faith in Christ because our God still does the impossible. Our God still does the impossible and he will make you blameless through, through Jesus Christ. That is what he has purposed to do. And when he purposes to do something, he will do it. And there's no obstacle that can keep him from it. Just as with Abraham and Sarah, God will make good on his promise and he will overcome impossible odds to do it. Church, God has promised salvation through Jesus Christ. And God will make good on his promise. He will overcome impossible odds to do it. There is salvation in Jesus Christ for you. I want to invite you for a moment to just bow your heads with me and and close your eyes. Listen, I just want to take a moment for reflection and response. The Christian life is, is, is all about responding to the gospel continually. It's all about believing that God will make good on the promises he has given us and trusting and having faith that he will do it. When you believe God like Abraham did, when we believe God, in God's plan that's accomplished through Jesus Christ, the Bible says that we are saved. The Bible says that, in, that Ephesians 1 is yours. That Ephesians 1 is your identity in Christ. And so I just want to take a moment not to rush but to respond to him. Lord, you have accomplished impossible things. there is nothing too difficult for you. There is nothing too wonderful for you. There is no obstacle that is too much for you. There is no sin that is too sinful for you to overcome by your grace. There is no sinner that is too lost. There is no blind eye that is too blind. There is no heart that is too hard. There is no one who is too far gone. No one. Because you are the God of the impossible. And you enjoy, you take, you, you show your glory in doing the impossible so all would see and know that it was truly you. Lord, nothing is impossible. The most amazing thing that you have done, Lord, is saving broken people like me. Saving sinners and making us blameless in your sight and giving us eternity. Lord, you do impossible things. And I am a first and foremost example of that. Lord, we as your people are the first and foremost example of that. Lord, we trust you. We place our faith in you. We believe that you will make good on your promise, that you will accomplish what you have started and what you have purposed to do. Again, Lord, there is nothing too difficult for you. We worship the God of the impossible. So, Lord, as we finish our time, we give you thanks. because our salvation rests in you and we have nothing to boast other than the cross of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, amen.